my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to B Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. This week we're taking as our theme, Biblical Morality in the Third Millennium. And today we ask, is Biblical Morality out of date? Uh, Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Welcome, David. Good afternoon, Gary. Hello, listeners. It's wonderful to have you back with us again. Tell us, how did that uh, birthday bash go uh, last week? Yes, uh, turned the big 5-0 on Sunday of this week, actually. And, um, yeah, we had uh, a family get-together last Thursday night. We went away for the weekend, my family, my wife and my children. And, um, yeah, had a really good time, quiet time. And then Sunday, my birthday, went cycling with my wife along the Esplanade, along the beach in Adelaide. That's a a rather leisurely uh, cyclist uh, track over there. It is, yeah. It was about 30 kilometres we did, but it was leisurely. It's flat. It is very, very flat. I I know the area well, but it's a lovely track. You know, one of the things I love about Adelaide are just the sheer number of um, bicycle tracks there are. You don't have to be on the road. I well remember doing one uh, with our uh, with our youth group where we actually went from Athelston along the uh, uh, along a um, track made especially for uh, bikes. We went right out to the ocean. That was about thirty about thirty eight thirty eight kilometres. Thirty eight kilometres. You've done that one. I have. Look, um, I knock South Australia quite a bit because I'm a proud Victorian. Hello, our listeners in Victoria and elsewhere. <laughs> but um, it is true, Adelaide is really the city of cycling in Australia, which is yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, those tracks, can I just encourage our listeners, if you're into cycling and you haven't come to Adelaide, you've really missed uh, something really good. And maybe, Gary, I mean, maybe we could uh, have listeners from all over Australia. Send us a message if you're into cycling. What's the number, Gary, they can Oh, that message on? is 04888. 80811. So uh, send us a text if you uh, like cycling. Uh, uh, thank you, David. Uh, we will put you into our marketing department. Now, look, our, for our World Watch segment today, uh, the news media has been absolutely full of reports concerning the New South Wales-Queensland floods. Now, just earlier this afternoon, I had the uh, the real, very real privilege to, uh, to interview uh, the Disaster Relief uh, CEO for ADRA uh, Australia and just ask them where they were actually up, uh, up to. And Gary, before you play that, um, ADRA, what does it stand for? Ah, that's in the interview. Okay. Just just wait for the interview, okay, David, and I'll... you will have the answer to that uh, to that question Thank from the professionals. Gary. It's also wonderful to have with us this afternoon, uh, Robert Payton. Now, uh, Robert uh, is the uh, CEO of Emergency Management at ADRA Australia. Uh, Robert, it's fantastic uh, to have you uh, online with us this afternoon. Thanks, Gary. It's a pleasure to you know have the opportunity to uh, talk with you and to share some things with your listeners. Listeners, look, I mean, I'm just so conscious that over the last probably week or so, the news media has been absolutely full of reports concerning, of course, the New South Wales and Queensland floods. Now, of course, that's that's impacted people and services. It's 
it infrastructure. Our thoughts and our prayers just have to go out to uh, you know to these guys in New South Wales. I mean, they've really had it tough in the last uh, in the last little while. Uh, I mean, there was the bushfires. Now, uh, then we had uh, coronavirus, and then uh, after the coronavirus, we had the um, we had economic meltdown, and then finally uh, we have floods this year. That's uh, that is quite a remarkable flow of disaster for that particular part of the world. But look, Robert, just tell me. Gary, if I can just add one more into that. Before the fires, we had a significant drought in those areas. So, you know, they've really been bombarded. So I I just want to add another one to your list. Yeah, actually, that's very true. I mean, I I had actually forgot. It's amazing how quickly uh, these disasters actually pass us by. You know, one (laughs) is enveloped by another one that's enveloped by another one, and you very quickly forget about the the previous ones that uh, have actually impacted uh, our uh, you know good people who are who are in New South Wales. I'm a New South Welshman myself, and I've certainly lived in Queensland for many years. And uh, I, I really empathise with the uh, with the guys and what's going on uh, right now. But look, before we uh, before we actually go to the floods now, Adra. Who is Adra? Well, let's expand the acronym uh, fully. It's Adventist. Development and Relief Agency. It's the official uh, humanitarian arm of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so ADRA uh, has projects that are development-focused, as well as uh, working with people in distress at the time of disasters or emergencies. Okay. Tell us something. Now... Right now, you've certainly uh, got your work really cut out uh, for uh, for yourself. Now, look, how do these floods compare with other disasters that you've been involved with? Look, it's very difficult to compare because every situation is different. And uh, most of my experience, I've worked in emergency management with ADRA for the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. I've responded to... Disasters like the Asian tsunami, the uh, typhoon that hit the Philippines uh, in 2014, the Nepal earthquake. So, you know, those are big, significant events. But it does not mean that it's not significant what's happening here in Australia, especially in uh, Queensland and New South Wales. At the end of the day, it's human beings that are being impacted wherever they are, and that's what we focus on. There's always going to be people who are suffering and we're there to help, you know, to assist them uh, through that time of need. Yeah, yeah, no, appreciate that, Robert. That's a that's a wonderful comment. You know, uh, one of the things I suppose I'm that staggers me is just the sheer extent of this particular disaster. Because I've certainly been, I can remember back to the the Brisbane floods, and you know, I mean, you get isolated. You know, Sydney's had floods, and you've had Central Coast, but this has got a huge mammoth area. I mean, from Brisbane virtually the whole way down to Sydney, and uh, you know, far out west as well. I mean, this this really strikes me as as covering a massive area. Oh, it's huge, and uh, you know, if I just sort of quote what uh, you know I saw in the media, where New South Wales as a state had rain basically in covering the whole state in one day. I mean, when does that happen? Mm. And uh, it's not just you know whether it's on coastal or inland. What we've got to look at is that there are huge catchment areas uh, for this rain that then runs into rivers, which then often go through populated areas because when uh, settlements were established many years ago, it was often on rivers. 
Okay, okay, and and that's something that we do actually overlook. But look, tell me, let's come to this uh, to this flood disaster because I'm just so conscious that many of our listeners are really interested in knowing actually what is taking place. Where does an aid agency like ADRA actually commence? providing support. I mean, this is a, a mammoth job. Uh, well, this is something that a lot of people may not be aware of, and that is they often think of, you know, aid agencies like ADRA where we respond to disasters. In actual fact, the most important thing we do is before a disaster happens. Mm-hmm. We have a very strong program around uh, risk reduction, mitigating or reducing the likelihood of things happening, ensuring that there are plans in place, people are prepared for example, uh, and I'll talk more about this maybe a bit later, where, you know, it's uh, where the churches are and the people in churches are helping people, but they can only do that if they've got a plan in place and they're prepared. So a big component of what we do is before a disaster actually occurs. That then means that we can be much quicker, more efficient, more effective when a disaster does strike and literally, you know, well, in, in this case, before it even occurred, we had the early warning, we're activating and we're getting our teams ready before it actually strikes. When it strikes, we're then on the ground immediately as soon as uh, we can, you know, get access to help people. I really appreciate that because that is certainly something I was certainly aware of, but it, uh, it, it sort of falls into the background. You sort of see this as a, a crisis thing and you imagine people making plans now, whereas you're saying, no, no, that's not the way it actually functions. We actually function by uh, planning ahead uh, for these types of events. Now, look, tell us something. What are your major challenges? then right. Uh, the major challenge is often identifying who's really the most in need because that's who we should be targeting. The other is that there's access to certain areas that we just can't get in to help people. Uh, the other is that uh, because we work in partnership with the Seventh-day Adventist Church and we use a lot of their resources, some of those resources such as uh, church halls, uh, cooking facilities, they're cut off as well. So, you know, that then is a constraint or the, you know, challenge we face of being able to activate our full resources, basically. So what are you doing right now in order to resolve the, the effects of the flood crisis? It's a multi-pronged approach that we use. And as I've mentioned, we work through local churches and that's how we can have a very large footprint across that area. Uh, and it depends on the capacity and the resources that each of those churches uh, has. And so it's going to vary from area to area. Um, but there's some of the things that uh, we're doing, and these are some very simple things, but, you know, just having church members ringing their neighbours, yeah. ringing, you know, friends, family, or if they can, getting out and even door knocking and saying, hey, how are you? What can we do to support? So that's at the very simplest level. There are some locations where we've opened up uh, church facilities, made them available for people. It may be people who just want to get a hot meal. It may be people who do want to just have a place that's a com- community or communal place they can come together, have a hot drink, talk with you know other people that are you know going through the similar situation. With that community spirit, we want to encourage that and support that as much as we can. In some areas, uh, there are church uh, volunteers who are helping with uh, sandbagging. This was sort of in the lead up to the uh, flooding as such. There are others that are pulling together uh, food packs, care packs, 
But everything that we do, we coordinate with the local government and coordinate with other agencies to ensure that we don't duplicate and we're complementing each other. Now, look, if perchance uh, people wanted to uh, provide uh, some assist in your work, I mean, how can they actually do that? What's the best way to to assist ADRA at this time? Uh, There are three key things that I would sort of uh, identify here. Um, the first is if you're living in an area where that is affected and you are able to provide your time, please, you know, go and volunteer and uh, talk to, you know, your local church or your local pastor to see how you can coordinate and that. So that's one way that you can contribute. Mm-hmm. Another extremely important way is pray. The power of prayer is immense. And so pray for those responding as well as those who are affected. And then the third way is a cash donation. And I emphasize preferably a cash donation rather than donating goods. Uh, and if you, you know, if anyone wanted to donate to ADRA, it's just going to the uh, website, uh, which is adra.org.au and hit the donate button and you'll be able to make a donation there online. And that will enable ADRA uh, to actually be able to uh, assist uh, more people. Do you give cash donations to people? Do you? I mean, how do you assist? There are two ways that we primarily assist people. One is cash grants, and this is a one-off emergency relief uh, uh, cash that we provide to those who uh, reach out to ADRA for some assistance, and they are in you know very dire straits and in need. And the second is that we provide cash grants to churches who are engaging and helping their communities to enable them to be more effective and to do to do that with their communities. So those are the two main ways that ADRA is uh, providing assistance at the you know at, at the sites where the uh, people are affected. I'm just wondering. I mean, we may even get you back on in a, in maybe a week's time or, or something if we possibly can. Would that be all right? Because I I'm so conscious that these uh, disaster relief efforts they tend to uh, you know it's early days at the present time. The rain is still falling, and uh, you know you're certainly putting excellent plans into place. But in a week or so's time, uh, we'd be able to get a, an update as how things are actually going and maybe. Some, some human stories that are actually involved there as well. Uh, would that be possible at all? Yeah, sure. That would be fine because one thing I didn't mention earlier when we were talking about our response, we're already pre-positioning for the recovery phase and ensuring that we've got clean-up materials available ready to go in and support people in the clean-up, which is going to be immense over, yeah. you know, weeks to months really. So that's, you know, the next phase of our operations basically. Fantastic. Uh, Robert, thank you so much for that. Really do appreciate all you've shared. And uh, if I can, uh, I'll plan to chat with you again, perhaps next Wednesday. Sure. Look, that'll be fine. That was Thank Robert. you so much, Robert. May the Lord richly bless you. That was Robert Payton. Uh, he's the CEO of Emergency Management, uh, ADRA Australia. Uh, this is a fantastic helping organisation. Uh, David, do you know much about ADRA? Yes, I do. Um, Adventist Development Relief Agency here in South Australia. We have probably about 40 different projects from, um, you know, soup kitchens to, to cafes to uh, food community pantries to op shops to 
whole range of different things that are yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. And they're right across the nation, of yeah, course. Yeah, no, that, that certainly is very true. You know, David, the thing I really appreciate about ADRA is that uh, when you actually give a donation to, to ADRA, the, they actually provide the largest possible percentage. In fact, I think it's almost getting up towards the 90% of your donation actually goes to projects. There's a small sum that's actually needed for administration, but that is actually far higher than most aid agency. And to me, that's really important. And that's very true. And, and one of the reasons for that is because some of those other administrative type things come from uh, other revenue sources, not from donations. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I really appreciate about ADRA is the fact that ADRA's actually got access to a huge team of volunteers. And I just want to throw a big shout out to our... Vo- Don't our volunteers do a wonderful job, David? Absolutely. I mean, we've got hundreds of them here in South Australia of volunteers that help with all sorts of projects. But as we said, right across the nation and even across the world, ADRA is in so many countries doing an incredible work like other aid agencies also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Folks, look, can I encourage you, if you would like to assist uh, maybe an individual uh, who might be in distress, ADRA is an excellent aid agency to funnel your funds through. Now, if you'd like to give a donation to ADRA, please go to their website. Now, their website again is ADRA, that's A-D-R-A, adra.org.au. And I believe that uh, you'll be richly blessed by the Lord if, in fact, you're able to to give something uh, to those individuals who are really doing it tough uh, here at this particular point in time. You know, one of the things I love about being an Australian is I don't think the concept of mateship has died out totally just yet. And uh, it's at times like this that that mateship really shines through, doesn't it, David? That's what we're built on as a nation, isn't it? It Helping out each other when we're in need. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really uh, really a wonderful thing. Uh, Thank you so much. Really appreciate all that uh, uh, Robert's actually shared. And he's going to be back with us uh, next Wednesday because he's going to give us an update on how the recovery efforts uh, are actually going. So so please uh, join us. Be sure to join us next next Wednesday. Uh, Let's come to some music. This is uh, The Porter's Gate. Uh, love uh, will never fail Love is patient, love is kind It has no arrogance or pride It seeks the good of others first It keeps no record of wrong or hurt Finds no joy in wickedness But it rejoices in the truth Through it all it will endure Love will never fail Love will never, never fail Love will never, never fail 
That was the Porter's Gate. Uh, love will never fail. And that comes straight from 1 Corinthians 13. And of course, 1 Corinthians 13 is the great love chapter in Scripture. It's a passage that, if you're not aware of it, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Have a read of it. Uh, fantastic uh, chapter for defining what love is all about. And of course, this week we're talking about biblical morality in the third uh, millennium. And we're asking, is biblical morality out of date? That chapter is just so absolutely relevant. Now, look, we've got a, a book that uh, we're giving away today. The book's entitled The Power of Hope. And now this is a really fantastic uh, little uh, little book. Uh, it's, uh, it's a book that talks about overcoming depression, anxiety and guilt and stress. How do I deal with those issues? The Power of Hope. Most people recognise that exercise and a balanced diet help our well-being and improve health. But what should we do when illness is not located in one particular part of the body? Bible. How do I uh, improve when it's a stress-related issue? The power of hope is the title of this particular bit of this particular book. Now, look, if you'd like a copy of the power of hope, this is just a little book. It's not a big book, um, but just text your name, your address, and your telephone number uh, here to our, our studio uh, text number. It's just a text number. It's not a, a mobile phone, and uh, that text number is o four triple eight. 80811. Uh, this book comes from a, from a Christian perspective and I believe you'll be incredibly blessed, uh, by all that it's got to share. Uh, that number again is 04888-80811 and the name of the book is The Power of Hope and please put that title uh, into your, into your text because we do have people requesting different books and we want to know exactly what is the right one uh, to be able to uh, send uh, to you. Uh, now also, if you've got any uh, any questions or thoughts about our program that you'd like to uh, to ask or th- thoughts you'd like to share, p- please feel free to do that. You can do that uh, via that text number. That's o four triple eight eight o eight eleven. And I really want to say a big thank you to those of you who just in the last uh, twenty four hours have actually done that uh, because uh, that is that is something we don't put questions uh, personal questions on air, but we do try to respond uh, to them. So thank you to those of you who have actually sent uh, your your texts uh, in. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Q&A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. This week we're taking as our theme biblical morality in the third millennium, and today we're asking, is biblical morality out of date. Now, this is a, a huge issue, and I'm, I'm frightened to think that we've only got half an hour, uh, left, because this is probably a program that could go on till eight o'clock tonight. It's not long enough. Uh, it's not long it. enough at all. Uh, but you know, I, uh, I was, uh, in doing my re- research for this particular program, I stumbled across an article by a philosopher. Now, this guy is not a biblical student. In fact, he disclaims, uh, Christianity totally. Uh, and he, his article is actually a very scholarly article. I won't uh, I, I won't impose the entire article on you, but I just like to read uh, the very first 
paragraph because it's I thought it was an excellent introduction. Uh, the article was entitled Why Sexual Morality May Be Far More Important Than You Ever Thought. And this was his first paragraph. One winter afternoon I was relaxing with half a dozen fellow graduate philosophy students. Now if you want to hear people who can actually really uh, talk on at a deep level, these are the group that you, you want to listen to. Uh, discussing theories of law and punishment. Now there's an article that doesn't normally come up at the uh, at the barbecue. About an hour into the discussion, it occurred to me that some moral laws might limit pleasure and enjoyment in the short term, but in the long term minimize suffering and maximize human fulfillment. Do you know when I read that, I thought that is a powerful and an incisive statement. It occurred to me that some moral laws might limit pleasure and enjoyment in the short term, but in the long term, minimize suffering and maximize human fulfillment. When I read that, I thought, hey, uh, maybe this guy is uh, is coming very close uh, to a biblical understanding of what uh, morality is actually all about. But David, look, you're leading us in a Bible study on this particular subject this week. Uh, share with us, what's, what's your thinking? Yeah, so really good uh, information that you shared there, Gary, and is biblical morality out of date? When I think of something that's out of date, it's generally no longer of any use. Mm. Or it could even be dangerous or harmful if it's some sort of food substance. Uh, it's interesting. There is so much in the media at this time, isn't there? Um, in the last week, we've had eight shooting deaths in Georgia in the United States. Yeah. Uh, we know that a number of those have been linked. Uh, ladies that worked in massage parlors uh, have been linked to to sex outside of marriage, if you like, and and the perpetrator of these heinous crimes um, has uh, that supposedly had a Christian background um, has admitted he's had a sexual addiction. Okay. So our world is telling us a whole range of varying things. So that's Georgia. Mm-hmm. We come to the country of Australia, 2021, mm-hmm. and we know that in federal politics in the last uh, six weeks. Oh, this has been big, hasn't it? And even in the last 24 yeah, hours, indeed. the Prime Minister has been making statements about um, ministerial, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, people that work inside of Parliament. Um, propriety. Yeah, propriety, uh, acting impropriety. In, in, in an improper manner. Improper manner. Um, all sorts of sex acts. There are uh, ladies, uh, parliamentarians, that um, are completely ashamed that some of them aren't going to rerun because of the way they've been treated. Uh, and and the boys club, so to speak, and the innuendo and other things that have occurred. There's allegations of, of rape and all sorts of things yeah. in, in parliamentary offices. So is biblical morality out of date? And, and Gary, I just want to draw quickly. I, I know we only have a short period of time and we need hours to cover this important topic, but I guess what we're giving is an overview, aren't we, of, of some of the That's things exactly the Bible it. says. Yep. But uh, the ABC website, and this article was posted, ABC News posted on Tuesday the 16th of March of this year by a lady called Emma Wood. It's 
opinion, the significance of sex, can it be recovered through consent alone? And it's dealing with this issue of, of consent. Mm-hmm. We know that in New South Wales, there was a young schoolgirl at um, uh, Kambala um, School, I think it was called, a private school, that talked about how there needs to be a lot more um, training when it comes to consent for young people. Uh, there is a petition that uh, 27,500 people signed at the time that this was written, saying that there need to be a lot more training. A hundred private school principals were called in by the education minister to look at this. And the author of this article, Emma Wood, um, talks about uh, moral institutions and sex. And she says one of the problems we have in the modern era where we often put biblical morality aside is that sex is um, almost like um, getting consent for sex is is not seen as a big issue. It's almost like you, she describes you're in a water fight with mm-hmm. – a boy's in a water fight with a girl and he says, I've got a, a water balloon, a water bomb, I'm going to throw at you. And she says, no, please don't do it, but he throws it anyway. He doesn't get a consent. That's not a big deal, okay? Mm-hmm. It might upset mm-hmm. her, it might be inconvenient. But then um, she likens that to how some males in particular treat sex. Yeah. They treat it just like that, that they don't take no as no mm-hmm. and they go ahead and perpetrate and, and don't get consent. And she goes on to say that uh, for most of Western history, sex was not viewed as a recreational activity until the sexual revolution. Sex was viewed as a profound union of persons. Mm-hmm. Um, she says sexual activity was governed by rich courtship norms, which embodied and reinforced the belief that sex is supposed to be a, sp- a special, significant, or sacred act. That's what it used to be until the sexual. Now resor- that is resor- very revolution. powerful, isn't it, David? Because in fact, that is the is the biblical view of sexuality. It is, and I don't know that this woman's coming from that argument, but it is the biblical view. Then she describes two views. One is the significant view of sex, which is a extreme emotion connection, an act that is involved um, with intimacy at a bodily level should be reserved for a relationship that is as involved and intimate at every other level, not just the physical act. Yeah. So that's the significant view of sex. She goes on to then talk about a recreational view of sex, and she says this was really promulgated by people like Sigmund Freud and Alfred Kinsey, etc. They teach the opposite view that sex has no inherent meaning. Having sex is like scratching an itch. Sex is a trivial recreational activity. Sex is for the relieving of a bodily urge, and other people are the outlets. Accordingly, it does not matter what kind of relationship sex takes place within or who it is done with. The norms that govern sexual activity under this revolutionary paradigm are very thin. Consent apparently is really the only norm that matters. Let's call this paradigm, she says, the recreational view of sex. And essentially this is the issue that she sees. Um, Sexual assault is not really seen as that grievous if consent isn't given because Sex is just a bodily urge. You're it's scratching just a an game. Itch. It's just a game in many ways. Exactly, and um, she basically says that um, these young girls, in particular, in in Sydney private schools that have complained with this petition, yeah. um, they cite pornography as the primary cause of the insensitivity of young men to sexual assault and their right to do so. Pornography, she says, is the most extreme embodiment of the recreational view of sex. Pornography, more powerfully than anything else, destroys the potential young men have to develop the intuition that sex is anything special or profound. Mm. So this is from presumably a secular person basically arguing against where society is currently at or 
hear this uproar about there's not enough consent. Why isn't there consent? Where the real issue is really um, we've gone away from the biblical mandate to begin with, that sex is something sacred, it's a gift to be experienced between a man and a woman, as the Bible says, that in Genesis 2, that come together to be husband and wife. It's sacred. It's a sacred gift. And, of course, if sex has become a game, then all you need is two players, and the players themselves do incredible damage to each other uh, when they play that game. That's right. And so often Christians, for a whole range of reasons, not not only just sexual uh, views uh, and morali- morality views, are, de- are deemed killjoys. Yeah. Well, as you've said, Gary, um, you know, I heard the other day of someone that said they had a hundred sexual partners. Mm, the- now, yeah. now, what damage and baggage is that individual carrying? And, and you know, David, one of the things I'm really conscious of is that, you know, you're a pastor, I'm a pastor. In, in my 30-odd years of ministry, I'm so conscious I've had to minister to so many people who have been damaged badly uh, by this free sexuality. You, you talk, you know, adultery, fornication, whatever it is, uh, young people who are carrying incredible damage as a result of pornography is certainly another issue. Absolutely. And so these people might simply see it as an act, a physical act, and yet it scars them. Yeah. And you cannot leave that baggage outside the next relationship. It'll catch up with you. Yeah. So there are scars. And so God gives these prohibitions. And maybe I'll pull that word back, Gary. God gives us a framework and guidelines or safety barriers, if you like, to operate within to protect us, to keep us, uh, keep our integrity, uh, to keep our morality, to keep us sexually healthy and not getting sexual diseases and to keep us pure, not only physically, but spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, because we're all connected. And you know, David, that's where this article that I started with from a philosopher, you know, about an hour into the discussion, it occurred to me that some moral laws might limit pleasure and enjoyment in the short term, but in the long term, minimize suffering and maximize human fulfillment. Do you know, to me, that is absolutely profound because to me, that is exactly what the scriptural injunction really does do. Absolutely, and yet society has turned away from that. I mean, the guilt that someone has after committing adultery or having an illicit affair with someone. I mean, God wants to spare people from this. Uh, Divorce was never the ideal. So let's look at some of these. Yeah, yeah, please do, please do. Very quickly, two or three passages from the Word. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, this covers a whole range of things that God says. These aren't ideal. I don't want you to practice these things. They're harmful. Do you not know... Paul, the apostle, says Mm -hmm. that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, there'll be more talk about that tomorrow, forgiveness. How can we be forgiven from these things? But Paul lists some pretty important things here. Um, Fornication, idolatry, adulterers, homosexuals, and sodomites. All of these things um, are things that are damaging to ourselves as people and spiritual people. The Bible talks about not um, uh, having, um, uh, not having incest. You know, sex with a family member or a child or a sibling and those sorts of things. It was banned. Why? 
Because it's damaging. Yeah, yeah. And isn't it a wonderful thing that we've actually got a God who actually wants to protect us against things that are actually going to damage us in our living daily life. And isn't that what a good parent wants to do, a loving parent? And people say, hey, this is the horrible God of the Old Testament. To me, as I look at the Old Old Testament, I say, what an incredibly loving God we've actually got. Absolutely. And we've got to remember that the Old Testament records certain acts, such as polygamy, Yeah, but God doesn't condone it just because it's recorded in the Bible. And the other thing when we look at polygamy, which is, again, a a sexual um, relationship, when we look at polygamy in Scripture, it was never God's ideal, it was not what he wanted, and it never ended happily. It always caused pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The very thing you've been talking about, God wants us to avoid pain. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really good. One more passage, David, before we actually come to some music. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Matthew 19, Jesus talks about divorce. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, the Pharisees come to him and they sort of say, um, why then did Moses command uh, to give a certificate of divorce and to put away a wife? And Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So again... God is saying marriage is this gift for life. And the only thing that should separate a couple that have been joined together in this holy act of marriage, it's not just a passing passing moment, is where one spouse is sexually unfaithful to the other spouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, uh, you can actually deal with issues of uh, forgiveness as even possible there. But that's that's another discussion. But, David, I'm just just so so thankful you've raised this because, uh, to me, we've actually got Christ there. And Christ is the one who is actually placing boundaries uh, even on the issue of, of marriage. And, you know, by... Putting boundaries into the human relationship of marriage, he actually protects the relationship of marriage. Which was a gift out of the Garden of Eden. Exactly. We know that the family is the social building block for society, don't we? And so the family, marriage is all under attack today. Yeah, yeah. Look, folks, let's come to some music. This is Evie. Uh, love this, uh, this particular song, Give Them All, Give Them All to Jesus. Are you tired of chasing pretty rainbows? Are you tired of spinning round and round? Wrap up all the shattered dreams of your life And at the feet of Jesus lay them
And that was Evie. Give them all. Give them all to Jesus. Have you? Do you feel that uh, uh, you've done things that you shouldn't have done? You know, I love the message of that particular song. Give them all. Give them all to to Jesus. Our free our free offer for you today is the wonderful book, The Power of Hope. Uh, this is a book uh, to help you overcome things like depression, anxiety, guilt, and and, and stress. Uh, so many people recognise that exercise and a balanced diet help with our well-being and improve uh, all those illnesses. But what happens if I'm burdened down with guilt uh, or anxiety or depression? Uh, The Power of Hope is a book that attempts. This is a short book. This isn't a long book, but you'll love uh, this particular book. If you'd like this book, just give us your your name, your address, uh, your telephone number. Just text those with the, a book titled The Power of Hope and just text that uh, to our uh, studio text number here. It's 04888 80811. That's 04888 80811. You'll really appreciate this particular book. Also, if you've got any questions or thoughts about today's program, please feel free uh, to text in those questions or, or those thoughts. That number again is 0488-808-11. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Uh, today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, this week we're taking as our theme, Biblical Morality in the Third Millennium. And today we ask, is Biblical Morality out of date? You're giving us a pretty fair case here, David. Um, Please, do you have something else to share? Yeah, I guess one of the things today, even within Christian circles, is uh, it's it's okay to have sex before marriage. Um, You know, we're going to get married, we're in a committed relationship, so what's the problem? Let's just have sex. You know, this is something that really is not even discussed anymore. It's not, and I guess... um, Little bit by little bit and maybe quickly, quickly, um, we're seeing these morals being um, eroded away, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. So, so Gary, um, I want to suggest to you that sex is for marriage and marriage is for sex. Okay. Okay, God gave this beautiful gift. He, it's not something just for procreation, but it's for a husband and a wife in the boundaries and the borders of marriage. It's not just something that's casual, uh, for fun. It involves the whole person. It's intimate. The mind, the body, everything. And, um, right there in the beginning, um, we read that, uh, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Mm. So here we have this marriage in the Garden of Eden. Um, we can safely uh, believe that they weren't in a sexual relationship before God married them because there was no sin. Mm. And uh, sex outside of marriage is is one of the sins that is listed under a word pornia, uh, which is uh, generally uses the word fornication, but it's a whole range. Pornography would come under that, uh, adultery, um, all sorts of things. And um, so the husband and wife, they come together, they're married, and then sex occurs. And in the Jewish culture, um, that was how it was. Um, mm. You didn't have sex before marriage. It was a consummation of the community or communal marriage event. Um, and that's why Genesis 2.24, Jesus says that the man shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.16 He says this, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. In other words, sex, uh, the gift of sex, when it's used outside of the borders and boundaries that God gives, cause damage. Uh, Just like a husband and a wife joined together, 
mm-hmm. as one, and, mm-hmm. and sex is that most intimate part of that or a very intimate part of that. When someone um, has illicit sex against what the Bible prescribes, say, such as a prostitute, they are becoming one, not with a wife or a husband. Mm. They're coming one with a prostitute. Okay. okay. That's what Paul says. David, tell me, though, something that uh, I'm just so conscious of. You know, uh, I'm conscious that many don't don't have missed the fact that a person's most significant sexual organ is, in fact, their brain. Absolutely. And... That is, to me, when you realise that, it really says something about the sexual environment that we're living in today, and particularly this issue of of, uh, pornography. Pornography. Now, uh, David... Do you want to make any comments on that whole on that whole issue? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we had a young lady on the other week from the Signs of the Times magazines talking about the dark side of OnlyFans, this online um, subscription thing where there is um, soft porn, if you like, I guess um, the lady was sharing with us. Interestingly, a higher percentage of males, but an increasing number of females are interviewing of pornography. As you said, Gary, the brain is our biggest sex organ, if you like, mm. um, and it's visual, and, and males in particular, I guess, are visual creatures. Yeah. Uh, we're visual. A- and um, that's why the Bible says we need to guard uh, guard our minds. Mm. You know, We need to guard what we take in. Yeah. Uh, and we need to realize that this is a gift from God. Yeah. And every gift that God gives, Satan wants it to be um, eroded and to be... Um, Decimated. I, I'm interested, David. That article that you started with um, from um, uh, from the ABC. The, ABC uh, the the author there actually linked uh, this issue of pornography with um, male treatment of women. Do you think that's a justifiable linkage? Absolutely. She says pornography is the most extreme embodiment of the recreational view of sex. It's just an act. Uh, just an act. Yeah, if yeah. you're itchy, scratch the itch. That's what she was likening it to. Pornography more powerfully than anything else she says destroys the potential young men have to develop the intuition that sex is any sex is anything special or profound. In other words, pornography removes that ability to think that sex is profound and something that's special. Okay. And intimate. Yeah. And this is why God wants to protect sex as a gift between a man and a woman, yeah. not between two men or two women or, or two people prior to marriage, but it was a gift for marriage. That's why uh, Joseph, Mary and Joseph, Jesus's earthly parents, um, when uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and she's pregnant and Joseph finds out she's pregnant, he's betrothed. It's like an engagement, but even more serious. Yeah. It's so serious, in fact, they couldn't have sex. And... Um, to he was going to put her away. Mm. He was going to try and get rid of her when he found out she was pregnant. And to do that, he was going to get a divorce certificate. So engagement in the biblical times for a Jew was almost like marriage. Mm. Um, so he didn't have sex with her until after Jesus was born, but he didn't have sex before that either. Yeah. Um, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 8, he says, and nine, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But verse nine, he says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What's he saying? Yeah, it's 
It's a very it's very relevant to the age in which we're living today, isn't it? He is. So he's saying this. You know, if you can't, um, you know, if the urges are so strong, you know, you need to be praying for a godly spouse, and don't just marry someone to have sex, but pray that God will lead you to the right individual, yeah. uh, develop that relationship, and then in the confines of marriage, have sex, a, a gift from God. It's interesting too, Gary, that. Um, I've read reports on this that people that engage in premarital sex, their levels of communication, in some of the things I've read, their, their depth of communication is a lot, uh, shallower at times than people that reserve, uh, sex, the gift of sex for marriage, because they've developed that deep intimacy, yeah. uh, of communication prior to sex. Yeah, yeah. No, what, what you're saying is so, so right. I know certainly in pre-marriage counseling, I certainly have the privilege from time to time of marrying, uh, individuals. And I always sit down and share with them beforehand. And we talk about, uh, some, not just sexuality, but issues like communication mm. and, you know, the, the linkages, um, when people attend, when people choose to say, "Hey, I'm going to," ref- I'm, and then people, by the way, let me say, I am aware of a good number of couples here in Australia uh, who have reserved uh, sex for marriage. So please uh, don't believe the nonsense that you know everybody is actually uh, having premarriate sex because it's actually not correct. Absolutely, and even young people in school, often they'll brag about it, but they may not be having it. Now, we yeah. also know statistics show that yeah. many do. Yeah. One last text, Gary. Sure do. Yeah, certainly. Um, Hebrews 13.4, the author of Hebrews says, Let marriage be held in honour among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So sex is this holy gift, if we like, that God has given. Mm. We need to honor it as we honor ourselves. And sex is often an image. Oh, sorry. The, the, the marriage, um, concept is often an image that's used between God and his church. It's a holy thing. So sex is a gift definitely for marriage. Mm, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for that, David. But look, let, let's come. I just need to just get one last question in here if I can, because we do need to finish in just a, just a few minutes time. David, look, how do we teach morality uh, to maybe our children? You know, have we have we totally lost the battle already? I don't think we have, but it is pervasive. And, and I think parents need to really engage with their children and talk openly. Don't let our children discover what sex is and, and from their peers. Yeah. Uh, they'll get a, a wrong impression. How do we guard against this, this onslaught, if you like, of, of uh, what we see out in society? The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 8 says this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So in other words, what we fill our minds with, this great sex organ, the brain, whatever we fill our minds with will be what impacts our physical actions. Yeah, no, that, that is a great climax. You know, I'm, I, I'm so conscious that, uh, certainly being able to represent the, um, the, the correct principles actually means acting those correct principles and yourself. God is calling us to purity, isn't he? Yeah, He's a God yeah. of purity and he wants the best for us. He wants us to live within the boundaries for our own benefit. Yeah. And, to give and of course, joy. one of the real challenges that we do actually face is that uh, even within the church, you have repetitive examples of, of pastors, priests and, you know, uh, uh, 
who who actually have um, broken the marriage vow, uh, who have become involved sexually, uh, some with children, um, and that is something that is totally anathema. And it doesn't just hurt the two individuals, it hurts their families yeah. and it goes yeah. on and it ruins their own lives yeah. so often. Yeah, yeah. David, just let me, I, I love that, uh, that statement that I, that I started with, uh, from our philosopher friend, a non-biblical writer. Uh, one afternoon I was relaxing with half a dozen fellow graduate philosophy students start discussing theories of law and punishment. About an hour into the discussion, it occurred to me that some moral laws might limit pleasure pleasure and enjoyment in the short term but in the long term it minimizes suffering and maximizes human fulfillment do you know that's what god wants for us that's what i want for my children that's what i want for my church and as i look at it i just simply say hey maybe the biblical counsel is incredibly relevant for the time that we're actually living today it's it's current Within date, not out of date. Exactly, exactly. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, I just want to pray for uh, all our listeners. Lord, if there's somebody who's struggling and saying, hey, look, but look, I, you know, I've really um, done things that I'm not proud of. Lord, I just pray right now uh, that you, your spirit might touch them. Lord, I pray that indeed you might forgive. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that uh, just like uh, you said when you were on your, uh, on earth here, uh, you might say to them, arise, and sin no more. Uh, Lord, thank you for those boundaries that you have given to us. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you want to protect us. Thank you that you are the good father, the good shepherd, uh, the one who is prepared to say, this is the way, walk ye in it. Uh, Lord, we, we say thank you for giving us your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Well, folks, our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Helen Gray spend the entire time looking at the question, sexual sin, can I be forgiven? Really look forward to seeing you then. But until then, please remember, Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you.